0: Good morning everyone. Uh, uh, Nice to see all the faces. Um, Yeah. So it's just, it's been a nice day today. I kinda like the the change of pace, the kind of freshness that uh, the cooler weather brings now and then. So today, I want to talk about uh, something I was introduced to last year around this time. Uh, This Saturday, this coming Saturday, August 5th, there's an annual ceremony at the Lake Harriet Peace Gardens to commemorate uh, the atomic bombing of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And it's been 78 years since that event, since that tragedy. And there's some things I wanna put a caveat on really early. Number one, I'm not Japanese. Uh, I can't speak for the Japanese people and I can't speak uh, to their culture or how this event affected them. The Soto School of Zen that we practice here at MZMC was founded in Japan and has a long history handed down to us uh, that started in India and from us it passed through China, Korea, Japan and now it's here in the U.S. And I value this. I value this practice a lot. It's why I'm here. It's why I'm here and not huddled in some corner somewhere. But cultures and histories are really complex. If you just think about the U.S., our culture, and our history, there's a lot going on here. And I think there's a lot also that has gone on and is going on in Japan. They're not accepted from this. And they've been both the victim and the aggressor. So both things happen. And my heart aches. It really hurts, both for the Japanese and Japan, and it hurts for others too, it hurts for us. It hurts for all the tragedies of war, epidemic, natural disaster and starvation that are still going on. So on August 6th of 1945 at about 8.16 a.m., first atomic warhead was detonated over Hiroshima. And three days later on August 9th at about 11 a.m. another one over Nagasaki, an estimated 129 to 226 according to Wiki, uh, thousand people, 226,000 people were killed between these two events. And it's no wonder that six days later, Emperor Hirohito announced the surrender of Japan, effectively ending World War II. And it also is no wonder that a people then might dedicate themselves to a path of peace. One of the the mantras, one of the things that we say over and over again during these memorials is never again. We don't want this tragedy to happen to anybody, anywhere, ever. No more. I regularly attend this event since I learned about it, which was, I don't know, it was pre-COVID either uh, make tea or help make tea for others. And it's a, it's a weekend long event that gets kicked off. Um, like I said on Saturday uh, at six o'clock is a public event and anybody's welcome to come. You're all welcome to come to the Lake Harriet peace gardens. There'll be uh, a tea ceremony that's done in this commemoration. And while you may not receive a bowl of tea that day, you can see what it's like and you can uh, help commemorate this important time. But it was during this event last year uh, that I was introduced to the calligraphy that is on your program, where I put up on the altar, maybe for people on Zoom all this graphic. So I wish I would have maybe put this digitally. My teacher had recently come back from Japan with it from Daitokuji, which is a monastery in a large monastery in Kyoto. And she said it fit the spirit of what we're doing that day, of commemorating peace through a bowl of tea. And I didn't have a lot of time to spend with it that day, um, but I knew that there was something. There was truth in what she said, and there was something there for me to explore, something for me to spend some time with, and so far there have been innumerable lessons, and I'd like to share some of them with you, some of the thoughts that I've had. Translation that I receive for this scroll because I don't, I also don't speak or read Japanese. Uh, although it is an aspiration of mine, and we do a lot in tea ceremony, I feel like I'm a parrot, and I will just uh, say the sounds, but not know what they mean. Uh, spending time with this scroll has taught me some some meaning. Uh, I feel meaning in the characters, and they are written in a way that conveys the meaning as well, which helps me relate to it. And helps my mind uh, settle in on them so the translation is your way must be long your heart round keep from being angry let the other be great and myself be small your way must be long your heart round keep from being angry let the other be great And myself, small. Mostly, I just wanted to give that to you. That's it. (laughs) Go. Go. Spend some time with that. See if that relates to you and to your experience. But in Zen, unfortunately, we we say a lot of things. So I'm going to say some more. Like I said, the characters were written in a way that uh, kind of relay the meaning of what they're trying to say. So the first character is the one for spirit, or mind, mood, atmosphere, that kind of thing. Key, energy, it can be known as energy, or life. But this one was uh, translated as your way, which I think of as your life. And when we're still and our life can go down all the way down when we let it lengthen and all the way down to the bottom, all the way to the source. Uh, something that helps me have a felt sense of this is the phrase turtles all the way down. You get a felt sense that the world is stacked on some elephants that are standing on a turtle, that are standing on a turtle, and a turtle, and a turtle, all the way down. There's no end to these turtles. There's no end to our long life. And when we quiet the mind and we can feel this, when we encounter the source, this is the source that is all life, we find that there's no difference in the life that I have and the life that you have. In the life that you have, and the life that the tree has, in the life that the tree has, in the life that the rock has. These are no different. We're rocks. We're trees. We're things that we might think are inanimate, but it's all coming from the same source. And when you see this, when you really kind of take this in and you incorporate this into your way of being, you kind of realize that harming somebody else is harming everybody else and is harming yourself and that harming yourself is also harming others. So, in order to see this life all the way down to its source, we really need to quiet the mind. We need to relax. We strive really hard to to kind of maybe lengthen things or to feel how long our life is. But we don't need to. We can relax that striving. We can relax our, our gaining mind and we can just let that length show up we can let this connection with the Source be there and recognize it. But it's really easy to be distracted. It's really easy to lose your train of thought, as I may just have done. But some part of us already knows this connection, already feels this connection, and it really isn't that far away. I say turtles all the way down like it's this infinite thing. But I really don't think this source is any further than where we are now. So it's not some place that we have to get to. It's not some place that we have to go. It's right here. So take some time, connect with your life, and let it be long. And go all the way down the next character is Shin or Kokoro uh, we're used to Shin here the the heart mind right the heart the mind the heart mind uh, this is the spirit the uh, it's the heart radical but they've they've made it into a circle. Normally, it's a little more blocky, but they've made it into this nice full circle. And in tea, roundness is a quality that the host tries to cultivate for the guest. Uh, we try to hold our body in a round shape, and our even even our uh, our hands when we walk around are in a round shape. And this might seem similar to Zazen. When we make a mudra, round shape, we kind of round our arms a little bit. So this is not too much different than the Zen ritual that we might be used to. And most of the actions that we take, both in Zen ritual and in tea, have this quality of roundness. It begins at a point it has a middle and it comes around and it ends and where it ends is the same as where it begins we might come up to the altar we bow we make an offering we come back we bow we're at the same place we started there's nowhere to go but this roundness this completeness is helpful It includes all that it needs and it leaves nothing out, even if I fall over and make a mistake, if I drop something, if I come back to the beginning, it's just all included. There's nothing left out. I recently heard a podcast that was talking about Pixar animation. And their animators, all the things that they go through, the meetings and meetings and meetings they have about eyelashes and eyebrows and earlobes and fingernails and all the details, right? Because it's animation and things don't happen on accident. And uh, for villains, they tend to make them more blocky and with sharp edges. And I think they they gave the example of Cruella de Vil, but I was thinking of uh, Hades from Hercules. And, you know, just that sharp nose, and you're just waiting to get poked with that thing. And, you know, everything is just, the chin is just this chisel. I don't want to be near that stuff, right? I don't want to go near that. I have a felt sense of threat from that. And the main characters are made more round. Round features, round faces, eyes, whatever other features people have but they're welcoming they're safe you want to be close to that person you want to you want to be around somebody that has this round fullness and i think the psychology of this would be really interesting i'm not a psychologist i don't want to be one so this isn't going to happen today When I first got to Zen Center, I think my my heart was pretty hard. It was pretty shriveled. Um, I came in the door. I was really scared. I was confused. I was really angry. I think in a lot of ways I still am. It's so whether how I show it might be different. And. I came to feel that I was here to learn the one true way of doing things. The true way to bow, the true way to meditate, the true way to whatever it is that we're doing here. And to do it all on my own, all alone. Right? Nobody can practice for you. This is true. But I look at all of you and I think, alone? Where's that? Are we ever really alone? Over the years I've begun to see the power of Sangha. I've been exploring it in my own heart recently. um, And it's been a really enriching part of my life and my practice. I've heard a couple ways of describing Sangha like uh, cleaning potatoes where you put all the dirty potatoes in a pot and you stick your hand in there and you just go around and round and bump them all into each other until uh the dirt just comes off and you have some clean potatoes or like a rock tumbler where uh we're bumping into each other we're hitting our corners on each other and we're chipping them off and eventually roundness occurs So we're rubbing our egos, we're finding our edges, we're cleaning each other. And we can't do it on our own. We have to have somebody else to be that catalyst, to be that that rubber. And in this case it does take a village. I think this is a nice way to be around. I'm going to run into people that rub me the wrong way. We are a group of people. If we come to a Zen center and we think, oh, everybody there's gonna be perfect, and uh, everybody's cool, and everybody's really nice. Well, hopefully we're all kind of nice, but there are personalities that just like, oh, this is not the person that I want to hang around all the time. But that does not mean that this is the person I get to choose to hang around all the time because we're together in a Sangha. This is a great lesson for us and if we allow this to kind of penetrate us and make our heart full, make our heart round, make our egos smooth, it is part of the key to this path of peace. The third character is uh, technically it's just the abdomen, but it's laying down and uh, one way to think of it is that to keep from being angry, uh, anger arises from the abdomen and stands up. So having the character laying down is a way to show how to keep from being angry. This does not always help when I'm angry. Anger is one of the three poisons, greed, hatred or anger, delusion. And it's very powerful. It is a powerful thing. I can't remember where I heard it. I think it was Gandhi, but I'm not 100% on this, that he said anger can be a tool that you use to do things. It can also consume you And so, allowing this anger that comes up in everybody, it comes up for me very frequently, for all kinds of reasons, and it's part of our experience. So what are we supposed to do, and how do we keep it from standing up? I think what we do. Is this practice that we've been doing all along that's no different we play pay close attention to it we're curious about it we're compassionate with it it's not something that we need to get rid of it doesn't say have no anger thank goodness because that would be a red flag for me. Like, yeah, just don't get angry. I've been told that a lot. Yeah, just don't be angry. Yeah, good luck. But can we hold that anger with great compassion? And what we can do also is we can rely on the sensations in the gut, in the abdomen, in the hara, which is uh, the, the name of this character, the hara. The belly. We can rely on the sensations there to key us in on when it is beginning to arise. And then we can call our kind awareness to it. We can call our compassion to it. And maybe some curiosity. How do we allow this anger to exist without feeding it? without making it so large that it consumes us, that it influences us. If we can recognize that this is information and this is really good information. If something is making you angry, something's going on and maybe we should pay attention to it, but it might not be what you think it is. You might be angry, something might come up and you might be angry about it, but it might have something to do with what happened 20 years ago. And it's repeating itself and repeating itself and repeating itself and showing up now. But unlike 20 years ago, where I just stuffed it down and pushed it away or blew up on somebody, I'm going to hold it a little bit and I'm going to pay attention to it. And I'm going to see if I can ease it a little bit and ask it what's going on and keep it from rising but still lay down let the other be great the character for the other is huge it's really big and maybe it should be because there's lots of others there are lots of others One thing I think of when I think of let others be great is uh, listen. Listen to others. Listen to their experience. Believe what other people tell you. So often the self is so big and our experience kind of dominates our experience. And so letting somebody else that has a different experience be a little bigger for a while, believing them, trying on what they have to say is an important way to step the self back a little bit. It's an important way to connect and it's an important way to expand our own lives. We are not diminished by other people's experience, we're added to by it. Letting the self be small is a little part of that and letting the self be small is not a a deprecation of the self. We need this thing. This is all we have to, to do this practice. This is all we have to experience each other. This is this limited body and this limited mind, this limited everything that I have is the only thing that I have to experience, all there is to experience in the world. And it's all you have to experience of me. Unless you can read my mind, which please don't. (laughs) If you can, please don't. So the self, although small, is important. I'm reminded of a of one of my favorite movie quotes: that the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few, or the one. Uh, I'll attribute that quote to Spock in the Wrath of Khan. It's hard. It's hard for me not to get a little emotional when I think about it because then he dies. And so, whatever. <laughs> spoiler. If you haven't seen it yet. And if you've seen the third or the fourth one, you know he didn't. Anyway. Spoilers again. But that doesn't mean that we get to throw ourselves under the bus. That means that we need to take care of all the things and put things in perspective. I think taken together, these two symbols it's really important to maintain balance and perspective. The perspective of the reality of the situation that I am one of three million people in the Twin Cities. And each one of us is so much smaller than three million. And so by seeing this, it's quite natural, it might, might be quite natural to allow others to be really great and the self small. But we also need the balance to not tip into the nihilism that the self is not important. If the self wasn't important, then maybe it wouldn't be on the scroll. If the self was not important, we wouldn't ever reference it. And for me, it's always been easy to put others' needs in front of my own. But learning this balance keeps me from working so hard that I hurt myself. Keeps me available and healthy to help others. But knowing also that I don't need to be in the front of all the experiences that are happening. I don't need to be the dominant factor in the room. I just need to be part of this. Just as we're part of Sangha, just as we're part of the universe. So altogether, by not being taken over with anger, by having this full heart, recognizing the connection that we have to all of life, and seeing ourselves in a proper perspective to others, we might begin to live and feel how to get along with each other. We begin to experience the flavor of what peace is in this way. This isn't like the peace of tranquility of the soul, This is the piece of being tolerant and accepting of people that we may not like or disagree with. This is a very important quality as I talked about with in Sangha, there may be something that comes up that I don't agree with John about how he's doing the garden, but you know what? I love him. I love him. And uh, we can step beyond what we think might be right or wrong. And it's not going along to get along, but it is recognizing the totality of the situation and finding a way to foster that connection and foster this heart that connects us all. And when we do that, why? To me, it's just like, duh, we don't drop bombs on people. I don't push you down the stairs. I don't, you know, I start making different decisions in my life because I see that some of the decisions that I've made, the conditions that I've been brought up in, have been harmful. So, of course, this is not the only path. There's many paths. I think there's as many paths as there are people more people in this room, more people everywhere. I think uh, the path to peace that you have is your own. And if any of this resonates with you, I really uh, encourage you and invite you to spend some time with the scroll, with the characters, with the sentiments, even if it's just like i said i don't know japanese but in, in tea we have uh, an alcove a special alcove where we hang a scroll for the guest and i don't know what my scrolls say but i like them i like the brush strokes in them i like the feel of it so uh, if you connect to it just purely out of that way this is totally fine i cannot tell you Uh, And and nor should anybody tell you what it is that you connect with and what you don't. But I invite you to, to explore what you connect with and what you don't. And bring this flavor of peace around with you. Pay attention to when it comes up. Pay attention to when it doesn't come up. As we go about our lives, everything is coming up and passing, coming up and passing. If you've cultivated this flavor of peace, maybe you can recognize it it when it shows. And this is how we feel this path, and how we begin to understand it, how we begin to understand ourselves, and how we begin to relate to it. what I have to say about it. So thank you for your kind attention. If uh, questions, comments, rebuttals,
1: I spoke on many good things. Um, I have a question for you if you'd like to talk about it, and if you don't like it, you can talk about something else. But um, I'm going to speak a little bit about karma, not the misguided way many of us think about it, but how causes and conditions lead to things, right? right? So I've often heard, well, if we didn't make the atomic bomb, someone else would have. Or if we didn't drop the atomic bomb, we would have had even more soldiers die. In that, right? And I think that's such a narrow way to look at it where we were in a really tough spot, but we didn't ever need to get to that spot in the first place. And hopefully, we never get to that spot again in the future. So, what we can do now, each of us in our own lives, is like you said, try to make the world more peaceful. You know, we are not separate from our past or our future. So, um, can you speak to that a little bit? I mean, it's a very unfortunate part of our past, but. Mm-hmm. we do have agency now
0: where we can make the world more peaceful you know, almost yeah I think sometimes we the causes and conditions that bring us into the moment in some ways I don't want to be predeterministic, but allow us to make certain choices. And those choices narrow as we go down a road. If we continue to make bad choices or choices of hate or choices of building a bomb, a bomb will occur. At some point, somebody or anybody or all people may have had to make a different choice for that not to happen. And karma is... I would like to think that anybody could have pulled the plug on that and say no I wasn't there and I have no idea. I've been listening to a little bit about um, people that have contributed to the Manhattan Project in that way, and some didn't know that the choices they were making were leading to this. Um, I want to be very careful about justifying actions in retrospect I just can't speak to the conditions of the time, but I can speak to the conditions of this time and what we have learned. And the conditions of this time are that we have learned from that experience that this is not something some of us think, that this is not something that we want to do, no one want to repeat. And there are some that do think that this is something that we should do and that we should repeat. And so what we can do is wrestle with that within ourselves, make our effort if we want, if we are in a position to do so, make the effort to not perpetuate and go down the path of another bombing. teaching of buddhism is that we always have this choice we always have this agency as you're just brought up the agency that we have Um, but we also have agency within limits Uh, that agency within limits i can't make uh, a choice to i'm not really good at the top of my head kind of stuff Um, i can't make a choice to to fly home today after this talk Um, because I can't fly right I have a limit in that way and that's based on my karma it's based on my conditions that have brought me to this moment Um, and uh, the limitations of this but what we can do again is to continually explore ourselves and make the effort and keep making an effort and keep making an effort to go in the direction that uh, we think is beneficial. Oh, lots of hands. Adam.
2: If anger doesn't stand up, what does it do?
0: If anger doesn't stand up, what does it do? Um, Well, the scroll says it lays down. (laughs)
3: Uh,
0: What does laying down anger feel like? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think um, laying down anger for me tells me that it's there, tells me that, that, that there is anger and that this is important and I should pay attention to it. Not to quell it and not to uh, make sure that it doesn't stand up, you know, I, it's not, there's some times that anger needs to erupt if it's in a beneficial context. I'm losing here. I don't know what's going on. Uh, But, if anger is laying down, it is not driving me. I know that it's there. I know that I need to pay attention to it, but it doesn't cause me to act. If it raises up and fills me, and I have more of a chance to act out of that anger. So I think it can lay down, maybe it can take a nap. Um, Maybe it can just, after being seen, can say, oh yeah, I'm seen, I can just kind of fade out again. And maybe it, it doesn't even lay down, maybe it's just not there. But we don't need to gaslight ourselves and say that it's not there and that I'm not angry. We could admit that. We can feel that. And we can be with that and just see where that goes. Ginny?
2: It occurs to me, my my reflection might just be repeating what you already said. Um, I I appreciated the aspects that you highlighted um, with anger uh, around not trying not to have it but to notice when it comes up and to treat it with compassion and also around the small self that that doesn't mean obliterate the self Um, for me in my history when i was a small kid there was a lot of anger in my family in my home and i think that and and protect myself from that I made myself very small Mm -hmm. and so as an adult for me sometimes hearing these teachings my immediate reaction like I just got access to the fact that I have anger that I have my own anger and I'm kind of protective of that Mm -hmm. because for a long time it was like I was so afraid of this that I had to pretend that it didn't happen Mm -hmm. But I think, as you said, now treating it like this is information, and it's important information for me to have, and I'm kind of protective of that. So sometimes when I hear that like anger is a poison, I have this re- this reaction like, okay, but it's an important poison <laughs> It's in me. <laughs> yeah. Um, and and that is also connected to me uh, with the self. I mean, I'm totally on board with the harm that can occur when the self is so large that it obscures everything else. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's also harm that can occur when everything else obscures the self. Right. Right.
0: Thank you. Anybody online? Jeremy. Me. Me. Mark. just a second okay go ahead
4: (laughs) ever have a general psych class they always had you listen to these headphones where they delayed your voice into your own ear and you could you couldn't read you couldn't talk anyway um no i think of that tic han had a cassette that i wore out and now i have it on cd and it was was the art of mindful living and it's a little meditation on anger and he says anger i see you i bow to you and It was all about being accepting and not fighting and not resisting. Um, and he said, anger, I take you in my arms like a mother takes her baby, I will take care of you. A whole different uh, approach to anger was I find personally helpful almost every day. Um, and, and there's a Rumi poem that gets quoted in all the things that we read where Rumi says, all these difficult feelings are guests in the house and they all need to be invited to the table.
3: Mm.
4: If I don't start with a fundamental assumption that there's something wrong, because I feel angry, therefore there's something wrong, wrong with me, whatever. But just start with accepting the anger where it is. Then it's a huge difference in the way my body processes it. Yeah. So yeah. That's why I've just, I find that very helpful, the, the acceptance of it. Thanks, Mark. Thank you.
0: Were people able to hear that in the back? Okay. okay. Ashley has her hand up.
3: Thank you for the talk. Um, I also think that like um, we shouldn't. We should. Anger is part of us. That's just part of us as a human race. And I just think you we shouldn't be making decisions out of anger. We we have anger. We can feel it. We can and then we process it through. But um, I think then, and you can still be angry at situations, but you shouldn't make decisions out of your impulse, your anger, I think that's where it becomes damaging.
0: It certainly has that great potential. That's right.
3: Thank you, Ashley. Anything else? Nope. Okay. Thank you. <clears throat> Julian. Yeah. Um, I was going to add on to something that she said right there. I definitely don't drive angry. Don't drive angry? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, no. From uh, yeah. Uh, Bill Murray and Brown Groundhog Day. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I had that. Uh,
1: oh, I'm angry. Stop. <laughs> okay. While not drive right?
3: Yeah.
0: Um, did but, you stop being angry or did you stop driving?
3: <laughs> well, um, I didn't let it get carried away, right? Okay. But, yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I remember, like, this really resonates a lot because you know, I look back, as you were talking, I was thinking about the time. I was the most angry and, you know, um, I always seen myself in that situation, you know, but this the first time I saw my mom looking at me, you know, mm. like, yeah, me and my brother got into a bad fight and I, now I'm like, oh my God, what was wrong with me? You know, <laughs> what was wrong with me? And I think I had to find myself small enough and, you know, get the other's perspective big enough that I could see. Oh, wow, wow, that was, yeah, that was uncalled for. And, uh, and you know, I really it just left the anger completely. You know, seeing red like a bull, right? Mm-hmm. And and now to know how different, like I was a different person. But yeah, I mean, it's, I like the rounding at the edges or mm-hmm. making them small, soft, they're those really small. Um, Yeah, so that's what I had that. Thanks, Charlie. Yeah. yeah. Um just go off with like everyone else. Um like anger can also be like a fuel for like change. Mm-hmm. Especially like you know, like our earth. It's like on fire, you know, I'm angry. Yeah. But if I'm just angry and not doing anything with that angry anger, then it'll just destroy me. So if I'm using that anger in a positive way, some sort of a feeling. So that anger, in a sense, is telling us we have to act and do something. Not in the moment. You know, perhaps when you're, like, as angry as possible, and you just want to freak out, but um, sitting with it, yeah, listening to it, what is it telling me, and how can I create? something positive out Right. Yeah, that's a wonderful
0: aspiration. For me, I know um, I'm still too activated by my anger. And so I, I am also afraid of my anger. And I do not let it stand. And I've been counseled several times to sometimes in the right context, like maybe in a workout, maybe in a sport, just kind of letting it kind of do its thing and letting it kind of go through. And uh, I think if we do that and we pay attention and we have safe spaces to do that, and I believe Zazen, number one safe space for me, and being in a room with a bunch of people also doing zazen where, yeah, I might be on fire with rage, but I am not rejected for that. Uh, This is a way to help relate to it differently and process it and not have my fear also fan that anger or vice versa. Okay, Time for, yeah, Andrea.
3: Hey. 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 That was a real, one great talk. Thank you. Thank you so much. And I just want to offer a little kind of liberty moment. Oh, and sure. He okay. um, talked about greed, anger, and ignorance uh, as wheels. So we think of them as poisons. Right. And if we just dwell on them standalone, of course, they, they are poisons. But if you think of them as wheels, we can take the energy that's in there and use it to move. Ah, just like so if you're, you know, you can move like one way or the other, but you can also go deeper with that. You can move <clears throat> toward the depth of your life rather than being in the streets. Oh, thank you.
0: Thank you. Were you on online able to hear that? Not really. Um see if I can sum up. Uh, Katagiri Roshi used to talk about the three poisons of greed, anger, and delusion as as wheels instead of uh, just poisons, and these wheels can be used for motion and to uh, turn things and movement so we can use those three wheels to move deeper into our lives and not just stay on the surface. Did I get that right? Okay. Okay. Well, thanks again, everyone. Thank you. I'm going to turn over to John or Dawn.